da 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 Look at this thing. Good. Oh, my gosh. Holy smokes. This thing could be your food. Greetings, everybody. Welcome to the 20th edition of This Band Could Be Your Food. I am your host, Nathan Palin, coming to you from Greenpoint, Brooklyn, New York. So happy you could join us. This week, we're going to be digging into the band from Bath, England, called Tears for Fears. You ever been to Bath, England? I was there. Uh, They love Christmas in Bath, England. There's a whole street that sells Christmas tchotchkes throughout the entire year. Those are two funny words to put together. Christmas tchotchkes. They have a new album coming out, The Tipping Point. I don't have to tell you about it. They're not sponsoring this or anything. But they do have a record out, and it's it's quite good. Dang near as good as any of the rest of the records they put out. But I digress. The whole reason that you guys are here is because you're going to listen to me and my friend Ross, Ross Britton. The two of us were going to talk about Tears for Fears and try to deduce if they were to be a food, what food they would be which is tough. One of the things that we kind of discovered over our weekend, our long food and alcohol-based weekend that I spent over in Asheville, North Carolina, is that England is not really very well known for its foods. And this is going to create some problems because there are a lot of very good English bands. But how many good English culinary dishes can you think of? I mean, what? We got your fish and chips. You've got your... Traditional breakfast fry-up, which actually is probably my favorite breakfast on earth. Though not too healthy, so thank goodness I don't live in England. But that said, we did come up with quite a dish. Very appropriate for our 20th episode. It's going to be a culinary achievement if we pull this off. So listen and hear how we did it. So that you too can do it as well. Not you two. They're Irish. You know, my mom is a big listener of the show. She tells me every single week, and uh, she already informed me that she listened to last week's episode about the milk band. But her constant criticism is that I talk too fast, and I can't help it because I'm always hopped up on Izzy's coffee. Ladies and gentlemen, I happen to be enjoying a cup right now as I do my darndest to start talking slower. But it's really hard. I, I just have my, I have all these thoughts I need to get out. But anyway, Izzy's Coffee comes to you from Asheville, North Carolina. And our guest this week, Ross Britton, happens to come from Asheville, happens to own the coffee shop, Izzy's Coffee. Does this mean I'm biased? Perhaps. But I'll be the first one to tell you, Izzy's makes a darn good cup of coffee. And if he didn't, I'd tell you to. Okay, before I get to the show, one kind request. If you haven't done so already, please go to Apple Podcasts and rate the show. I'll put a link in the description of the show. Or you can just look up Apple Podcasts and look up This Band Could Be Your Food. That's us. Go there. Give us a bunch of stars. If you want to put some words in, it'll help us get into the ears and minds and hearts of like-minded folks such as yourself. And community is a wonderful thing in this day of age. So there you go. Let's not waste any more time. Let's head right over straight down to Asheville, North Carolina for the conclusion of my talks with Ross Britton and two of his very favorite beloved bands. Last week, Neutral Milk Hotel. This week, Tears for Fears. Here we go.
Tears for Fears. Man. Kind of, you know, when I first started looking into the history, I was having a hard time being really interested in it. <laughs> Why is that? I don't know. It took me a while to sort of like di- really dig in and figure out what's going on. Because they're, you know, at first glance, they're not really like a lot of fun. The band. Okay. They take themselves pretty seriously. They do. Yeah. They really live up the whole English thing. Yeah. They're just like very proper gentlemen. <laughs> it's so dry. Very dry. Yeah. 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 And you did not grow up on Tears for Fears. I did not. My mom had songs from the big chair. Mm-hmm. I certainly liked each and every single on there. Um, some more than others. My first favorite song was Head Over Heels. Okay. I really loved the video. I loved the song. It really spoke to me. The video, of course. The video's awesome. Yeah. Sort of like an extra scene from Ghostbusters (laughs) that didn't make it. (laughs) (laughs) You you don't see, like, the, was it the Dewey Decimal System, whatever that card catalog, like, yeah, it doesn't happen anymore. No. You go over and you type in the computer, and that's like... True. But Roland opens it up and they all come flying out. Yeah. Again, okay. just like they did for what's her name? Yeah. Was it Peter Venkman? Something like that. Oh, yeah, in Ghostbusters. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but it's great. It uh it stands up. Um later in time, everybody runs once through the world. Didn't really know yet, but it it grew on me. Like Tears for Fears is a grower. And it, you know, it happened again after that. But you grew up on Tears for Fears I did. before I get into this. I my oldest sister. She's seven years older than I am, so it was. I had access to all that Brit invasion, the the Brit pop stuff coming in. Yeah. It's like, you know, Duran Duran and nice. Paul Young, and you know, and Tears for Fears was there too. And uh, yeah. I, I it was one of my first cassettes was the Hurting Tears for Fears mm. first album. Yes, and I loved that album. I still love that album. I had a dual cassette player, like boombox thing. And I would bring it on the bus with me in the morning. Wow. And I was like in fourth or fifth grade. Like I was a kid, like tiny. That's nine years old. Listening to some pretty heavy stuff. Yeah. And I, I mean, loved it. Granted, those those kids in that band were only like 19, 20 yeah. years old when they made that record. <laughs> yeah, they were like 19. Yeah. Dude, it's amazing. It is kind of. And it's it's so sophisticated. Like I it, it never really sung out to me until like later in life. And we have we have uh, REM to thank for that. Wait, no, not REM. Who covers, who covers Mad World? <laughs> Gary Jules. You sure? Yeah. I don't know. I know. I On know. the internet, it says that it could be REM. The internet is wrong. How do you know? Because Gary Jules lives in this town. He does live in this he town. He lives in Asheville. And ladies and gentlemen, we tried our darndest Ugh. to get him to be on the podcast with us today. But, and yeah. But apparently he, I don't know. He's got other things to do. Uh, I don't know what. But <laughs> it's a beautiful day. Why wouldn't you want to yeah. come over and have some delicious food with a couple people you don't know? Yeah, and talk about a song that you sang. Yeah. Not even, I don't even want to know. Uh, like, I was just more curious about, like, what Tears for Fears meant for him. What Tears for Fears means for him. Like, yeah, you know, like, I just want to. Exactly. Like, what is yeah. his relationship to that whole thing, you know? For sure. Yeah. Tears for Fears as well, like give them a lot of props. They love it as much as as anything. They they you know frequently cite it as just being you know something they really treasure when somebody takes uh, a different approach on one of their songs, and uh, yeah, it's it's good for everybody. And Gary Jewell takes a much different approach. 
I mean, it's still sad. Yeah. But he really gets that haunting aspect of the song. And I think that's really cool. Yes. Where, you know, Tisha Fears, it's still the synth pop, you know, really cool sounds that come through on that. All those like high pitched tings and stuff. It's so cool. Yeah. Um, And he just like strips it all down. I think it's just piano. Piano and maybe guitar? I think it's just piano. Yeah, I think it's just piano. Yeah. And it's just, oh, it's like underwater. It's so cool. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So then that was the first time I had ever heard that song. I didn't even know that they had another record. I thought Songs from the Big Chair was the debut. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, I was was a kid. We were were Americans. That's when we got hit with it. Yes. First. I mean, Mm -hmm. shout. Maybe it was Everybody Rules the World. Everybody Wants to Rule the World. I can't remember which one was first. first. Shout was first. Shout was actually a single that they had put out after the hurting. Okay. The record label was like, we need to get you guys back in the studio. And so they didn't have any direction because they they put all their eggs in the basket of the band name Tears for Fears and that album, The Hurting, which was this big concept thing based off of a an American psychoanalyst. Yeah. And he developed a thing called primal therapy. Yeah, for kids? For kids. Yeah, I know. Yeah, For kids that have things that are bottled up, the idea is just you scream it out. And uh, he wrote a book and famously treated John Lennon. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. He turned out all right. Yeah. Yeah. I hear he's up to great things these days. (laughs) (laughs) He just put out that movie on Disney. (laughs) (laughs) So the uh, the boys, they were really taken by this whole thing. And in fact, uh, it it ended up to, you know, their interest in this whole philosophy like later in life, when they revisited it, they actually got to meet him. Arthur Janov is the guy that came up with primal therapy. So anyway, so they meet they meet him later in life, and he's so taken by it. He says, "I think Tears for Fears. You guys need to make a musical about this whole thing." And then they're like, "Yeah, <laughs> maybe we bet on the wrong horse." I I I, th- <laughs> I I don't think they cared for him all that much. No, it they was didn't. kind of like, oh, he wrote this one book and that was really cool, and and I think Kurt Smith was really into it because he was kind of processing some, he was processing his childhood and some of the things that he had. Oh. Yeah, well, both of them. Yeah, okay. I, I, I don't know much about Roland. Yeah, I think they both had bad relationships with their parents. Roland, uh, I watched the thing and he kind of said like his dad had a nervous breakdown when he was three. So, yep. yeah, thing, things weren't really going very swimmingly for him in the first place. Yeah. So, obviously, this whole thing really worked for him. But, you know, before they were in Tears for Fears, they had another band called... The Graduate. Not The Graduate. Graduate. Graduate, yes, that's right. Uh, and it was a mod, new wave kind of band. Skinny uh, ties. Skinny ties. Yeah. Yeah, kind of. And But they, they've they always worn eyeliner. Yeah. Like, that was kind of their thing. I don't know if they're doing it now. I think they still are. <laughs> Probably are. <laughs> Come on! You know, I was curious. So I YouTubed an episode of... Their late night appearance with Stephen Colbert. And even on this TV appearance, they are not wearing eyeliner. Someone needs to tell Frank Black to cool it. Or Black Francis. I saw them open up for Weezer a few years ago, and I could see his eyeliner from way in the back. Carry on. All right. So if you've never heard Graduate, Graduate is, is uh, you know, exactly what, what, it, what it sounds like. It's, it's a rock band of its time. They got it mod. It's a little bit more aggressive. It's a little bit more rocking. The songs are still good, I think. But 
it's a five-piece band. And so they're doing it the old school way. They're traveling around in their van and, and they put on the shows and they set up all the equipment. And when they're done, they tear it down and it's, it's hard work. And so Roland and Kurt, they're like, this is too much work. Yeah. They decide that they're going to quit the band and they, they're going to start a new musical project and just spend their time in the studio and not work so hard. Yeah. And I think that I, and they were like session musicians, studio musicians they for were. other bands. And it's like, we'll talk more about it, but it's like, wow, they got really good at that. They did. Recording. They sure did. With the help of the keyboard player. Ian Stanley. The coolest guy in Tears for Fears. He has the best. So he's the one in the Head Over Heels video that hangs out with the monkey. Hangs out with the monkey. He, he plays the keys. He's got the cool leather jacket. The keyboard just kind of flies in front of him. Oh, oh. So the librarian good. ducks he, he and the catches, keyboard comes in. He catches a book coming out of the shelf. Yep, that's right. Yep. Another Ghostbusters moment. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he's like four years older than everybody else. He has a very distinguishable mullet, and I am darn sure that the reason that I chose a mullet for my developmental years, I think, should not be understated by the influence of Ian Stewart. Stanley. Stanley. Come on! Ross and I are about to go into detail about the Head Over Heels video by Tears for Fears, and the next section will be much more hilarious if you will take a moment, pause the podcast, and take a look at that video. Refresh your memory on what a cinematic masterpiece that is Head Over Heels by Tears for Fears. When you're done, don't get sidetracked. Get back here right away. See you in a sec. He was, I mean, he was definitely the coolest one in that video. Sure. You got the, you got the, you know, Roland and Kurt. Yeah. Well, you got Roland and his weird walk. <laughs> and then, then you got the guy who, who just came from the Robert Palmer video. Yeah. Kurt Smith. Kurt Smith. Yeah. With his eyeliner and glasses. And slicked back slicked hair. Back hair for whatever reason. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there you go. Yeah. So while we're trying to figure out this dish, we we were considering that these are very sophisticated gentlemen. Yeah. They cannot be lumped in with the commoners of traveling around in a van and doing the hard work of being in a band. So they decided to take a more sophisticated route. What do you think they ate on tour? Like fish and chips all the time or like get some haggis? <laughs> probably all those, yeah. you know, English delights. They probably yeah. had a lot of kedgeree. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I love um, the police episode. Are, are, they like Marmite. You're thinking of Australians. Australians like Vegemite. So yeah. Marmite, I think, is the British one. Really? Yeah. Or English. I'll say English. Brit British is a government. England is a country. True. English. That's right, Ross. Vegemite is Australian. Marmite is English. English. What's the difference? You may ask, well, they're both made from yeast extracts, and they both have intense salty flavors. But uh, Vegemite is an Australian yeast concentrate enforced with vitamin B, whereas the other is a yeast concentrate enriched in vitamin B. So, huh, so different. Vegemite has a savory and salty taste with elements of bitterness, whereas Marmite is slightly sweet and salty. Vegemite is black. Marmite is brown, and that's about it. I'm not sure if one begot the other. Let's see. Which came first? Da -da 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 -da. Ah, it appears that Marmite was 
developed in 1902. Invented during the 19th century when German scientist Justus von Liebig discovered that brewer's yeast could be concentrated, bottled, and eaten. And then in 1902, the Marmite Food Extract Company was formed in Burton upon Trent, Stratfordshire, England, with Marmite as its main product and Burton as the site of the first factory. Now, Vegemite was developed by Cyril Callister in Melbourne, Victoria in 1922. Can you imagine two completely different places on Earth developed this very disgusting toast syrup? Hey, enjoy. Now, I, I really had no idea what the food was going to be. It's like English food. I mean, because these guys are so freaking English. They're very English. But not in a, in a different kind of way. English people don't typically talk about their feelings. They really bottle it all up inside. But these guys, they laid it out there. A lot. Yeah. So it's kind of striking. Yeah. And then, of course, they developed this sound that is new, not new wave. I, to me, a lot of it feels new age. Like the pop songs, the hits, to me, like, is pop. Everything else is just like, when, as soon as that saxophone oh, comes in. saxophone is so... It's so silky smooth. It should be. It's, Somebody should uh, <laughs> mash those two things up. Or just redo it and just take that track out. <laughs> just leave the sax out. <laughs> yeah. Remastered. Remastered. That's right. But one of the things that I, I, I didn't realize and it makes a ton of sense, is they're super influenced by Peter Gabriel. I loved that. Yeah. And that makes so much sense. It, 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 yeah, it really puts a lot of things together for me in my head. And that's pretty pretty cool, because it's either the third or the fourth record of Peter Gabriel. Peter Gabriel 3, and it's called Melt. It's Cor not called Melt, but the, people call it Melt. Yeah, because it's the, the picture with his face kind of yeah. melting. See? Yep. Um, and it has uh, Intruder and a bunch of songs that don't feature cymbals. <laughs> right. That was the thing. That's what made it sound so weird. It's like they're just kind of hitting the drums. It's really primal. It's really tribal. And so that's what Tears for Fears is doing the same thing. And actually, another interesting little tidbit I can throw in right. is that uh, Phil Collins was the drummer of that record. Who comes back to record drums with Tears for Fears on Women in Chains? Phil Collins did? Phil Collins played, oh my played drums on that track. You know, I'm starting to admire that guy more and more. You give him a hard time. I do. It's not fair. But it's like, it's like siblings, you know? Like, sure. you do it out of love. Like, you wish he you needs to be teased a few times. You don't think Phillip? he's been teased? <laughs> I think he's been living a life of being teased. He That's was... why he learned the drums. like, screw you guys. Don't play the <laughs> and sing. Yeah, everything. I'm, like, I'm going to be on Miami Vice. Yeah, I'm going to sing on that other guy's She's an Easy Lover. Uh, I don't even need credit. That one is Susu Studio. Mm -mm, can't do it. No. Was, that's when it's like, oh, man. But he did that cool, like, um, what's the, uh, the one with the video where it's all puppets? And it's like Ronald Reagan is a puppet. You like that? No, I thought it was a cool video. It was a cool the video. The song drives me nuts. Yeah, the song's but, pretty bad. Yeah. Whoa. But this is not about Peter Gabriel. I mean, or, or, Phil Collins. or Phil Collins. Yeah. Or anybody. It's no, it's about Tears for Fears. Now, Tears for Fears, English band. Okay. So they're stripped themselves of anything that is working class. They are hoity toity. But also, you know, sticking with the trends, you know, they're doing new wavy stuff. And you came up with the dish. I really couldn't think of a, a single thing. And the second that you told me what you thought it was, 
I was like, absolutely, that's the dish. Yep. Yeah. Do you want to tell them what the dish is? The dish is beef wellington. Beef wellington. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Now, the thing about beef Wellington is I don't, I didn't, I didn't have any clue what a beef Wellington you really was. You've never heard about it before. I've heard the name, but no idea. Like, yes, like what? Well, I mean, it could be like, just a tiny little steak with some sauce on it. I, or... I, I certainly assumed, like, thought it was a steak that was inside of a piece of bread. Like it had, like, yeah. a, I knew that much, but there's a lot more to it. Yeah. After we started making it, I, I didn't know. There was all the the pre-preparation and the, I didn't know there was like the mushrooms and all. I, did, I had no idea about that yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. So. Or the uh, the prosciutto. Yep. Which we didn't use prosciutto. We used Spanish ham mm-hmm. because that encapsulates, is that a word? Encapsulates? Encapsulates. I like encapsulates. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say what I want. <laughs> it's my show. Yeah. I'll interpretate. Make a, I'll be, <laughs> That's my favorite Nate Palin Are you inter- word. <laughs> that, I don't like how you interpreted that one. Yeah. It's a great word. <laughs> my aunt came up with that one. I'd been using it for years, interpreted. And uh, one day, my girlfriend was like, I don't think that's a word. I don't think that means I'm what like, you think. What do you mean? Yeah. My family's been saying it forever. It's like, yeah, they're not yeah. really schooled folks. <laughs> I looked it up. That's uh, your interpretation. That's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> whatever you, whatever you insist. <laughs> so, anyways, we'll get, we'll get into the, uh, the entire Beef Wellington. Sometime soon. Oh, but what I wanted to say is what I was trying to interpretate here is that the Spanish ham is speaks to Roland's background. He's uh, he, he comes from Spanish descent mm-hmm. somehow, so he's like Spanish English. Yeah. All right. This band. It's two guys, but not two guys. You've got uh, your Ian Ian Stewart Ian Stanley Ian Stanley. <laughs> Do you want me to write them down for you? And then um, Manny Elias. Is Ian Stewart, is he the guy that's in uh, <laughs> first Star Trek First Generation? <laughs> that's Patrick Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. Ian Stanley, well, it is. If you say so. Yeah. He's the guy that pretty much gives the house for Tears for Fears, Roland and Kurt to work in. He's got a studio. He's got all of the cool keyboards because those two guys, they're not playing key, keyboards. They're, it's a guitar player and a bass player, and that was their prime instruments at that point. But this guy, Ian, he comes in and he says, uh, yeah, I've got keyboards and I've got uh, all this stuff, and uh, you can come and record here for free. And so that is the beginning genesis of uh, what, what Tears Fears becomes. Was that, I, I can't remember if that was before the hurting or after the hurting. It might have been before. That's before the hurting. That's, so that, that's the hurting. Yeah, so, okay. yeah, because I'd heard an interview with him, and they and they weren't even sure if he had they had decided on the band name Tears for Fears, but they had. He his memory said that they had, um, and it wasn't their first choice. Oh yeah, what was their first choice? The history of headaches. The history of headaches. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, not that Tears for Fears is really that hip of a name. I mean, it's really obviously haunting. Yeah, but history of headaches. Why would you want to listen to history of headaches? Yeah, uh, 
What's this? Let me put yeah. on this record. <laughs> <laughs> What's what are these guys called? History for headaches? How'd you know? <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. No, and I saw like live show that they did like some video of it and it's like it says tears for fears on the kick drum mm -hmm. and it's like like kind of like the the font kind of has that like paint dripping or like blood dripping and it just it does not look right it's like yeah no man you gotta that tears for fears should be nice clean like a very solid font but this like melty bloody thing that's going on it's like it doesn't fit with your brand like yeah. or your sound or your look yeah well i don't I don't think they were really thinking brand at the time, even though they were doing a pretty good job with it. Yeah. Yeah. So, but before, before that, even we've got a little band that, that happens in between graduate and tears for fears. It's this band called neon, neon. and neon ends up splitting off. Two guys go to actually three guys go to tears for fears. Their drummer as well. Manny Elias. Manny Elias. Yep. He goes on to, to stay with Tears for Fears. But then the other two guys go on to be in Naked Eyes. Yeah, that's cool. You guys remember Naked Eyes? They redid Burt Backrack's Always Something There to Remind Me, and then they did Prom... Yeah. <laughs> I remember seeing them on Solid Gold doing oh that gosh. song. <laughs> doing that song. <laughs> and obviously they just needed the two of them in a backing track, and then yeah. that was it. Because they, they never toured because you couldn't do how, that. How do you recreate that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You would need an army of Gary Newman members <laughs> all playing one note. <laughs> that was my favorite video. It's just like 15 guys playing keyboard with their finger down. One one finger at a time. That's how you play the synthesizer. <laughs> yeah. So So then yeah, all right, Neon. Neon Schmian. Um Hey, do you know do you know what band Dears for Fear is considered like their arch nemesis? Oh my gosh. I would love to see like a Sharks and Jets style like <laughs> fight in some <laughs> London alley. Yeah. Tears for Fears and slick back and, hair and eyeliner. And Spando Ballet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, oh, that's I'm great. sure that they shared some cunning, uh, sharp remarks to, towards each other. Yeah. That is... It's weird. Oh, that's priceless. It makes all the sense. Just some mod battle. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like... Spandau Ballet, they were much more popular in places that was not America. Yeah, I remember the one song. Um, I mean, I can't think of it off the top of my head now, but... yeah. True. That yeah, one. that one. Yeah. When I'm in Italy and I turn on the radio, I frequently would hear their songs. And I, I don't know them, but I'm like, obviously, that's Spando Ballet. It's operatic. Yeah. It's sort Speaking of... Speaking of operatic, Roland is an opera singer. Yeah. So before he does all of his gigs, he always like sings some opera stuff. Which makes me laugh, because when Adam Sandler does the opera man, he looks a <laughs> lot like Roland Dorsball. Oh, my God, you're so right. <laughs> That is funny. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so then they make an, an album called Songs from the Big Chair. Yeah. Which and, which drove me like that name forever. I'm like, well, what does it mean? Is that a, I assumed it was like a soundtrack for a movie. Like the, oh, I, that's, I, yeah, I never even th heard, I never thought about that. Yeah, I thought the Big Chair was a movie. And yeah. so and I look, and then you look at it and and the Big Chair is not on the album either. Nope. 
Yeah. No, it's just songs from the big chair. Like that's just oh, that's what it's called. You know what it means, though, right? It's from a another like psychoanalyst book. Yeah. There was a young girl, and she just remembered sitting in a big chair. Yeah. Talking about her feelings. Yeah, and there was like fourteen different personalities she had. Yeah. She had said. And so, yeah, the idea was that this was going to be each each song was supposed to be its own personality, which kind of makes sense. I mean, it's kind of an eclectic record. It is. You got you start out with "Shout," which is the big single. It, that is that the first track. That's track one. Okay. Yeah, and and the first single as well. Do you know? Hey, do you know when they released the single "Shout"? Do you know what the B side was? Oh, uh, I do know this. Um, I think it was called. Songs in the Big Chair. It was just called The Big Chair. The Big Chair. That's, so that's where you find The Big Chair, on the B-side. Shout. Oh, and then The Working you. Hour, Everybody Wants to Rule the World, Mother's Talk. And I like how it says side two. <laughs> so you had to flip, flip the cassette over. Yeah. Very important. I believe some of them were kind of like, I don't know. My mom had it on tape cassette. I remember yeah. that we listened to it in the car. I had it on tape. Yeah. I didn't, yeah, I mean, I had like a Fisher-Price record player. I always found it weird that it was like those two dudes. Why is that? Like, well, just because like it's a, you see a band when they perform. I mean, cons- at that point in time, Tears for Fears were a four-piece band. Right. You're Ian Stanley. You're Manny. Manny Double Blue. <laughs> Manny Elias. Manny Elias. Yeah. And then Roland and Chris. Kurt. <laughs> Kurt. <laughs> Whoever. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> you have all the information right in front of you in this computer, and you just don't even look. I, you, nope. <laughs> I, all the information I need is right up here. <laughs> yeah. In the old thinking thing. <laughs> all right, yeah. So I, I think where you're going is like bands were bands. Yes. Like you got four Beatles. Yeah. You've got four Tears for Fearses. Yes. But it, but you, and you see them in the videos, yep. and it's the same guy because I see that keyboard player every time, Mister yep. Cool, and I'm like, how come he doesn't get to be on the record? Why is it these two guys? Yeah, and it's they both. I guess they both sing, but in my head, I thought that they sounded exactly the same. I couldn't tell the difference between one and the other for years. I completely agree with you. Yeah. I had no idea that Kurt, Kurt Smith sings Mad World on the Hurting. Yeah, I thought it was Roland. It it doesn't seem necessary. It's yeah. just that he's such a handsome fellow. I mean, sharp featured, mm. yeah, chiseled, and like cherubic. Yeah. You know, yeah. yes. You just want to pinch those chest. Yes. I know. He's such a cute little boy. Yeah. And and if you slick his hair back, he's he's a pretty good looking girl too. I will say, um, I did have an issue with the. Everybody wants to rule the world video and that, Kurt Smith's haircut. Cause it's like Was it the haircut that he's got all on his face? It's all well, it's all kind of up top. Yeah. You know, a little curly in the front. And then mm-hmm. he has a ponytail. Ugh. So it's like, oh man. Like it was a mullet that got a little out of hand. Yeah. And then he had to tie it back. <laughs> it's just it's it's not good. That's not good. No. It's 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 a sea of bad haircuts. Yeah. And they're like driving through the the southwest of America. Yeah. And they do not fit in. <laughs> no. You are not from here. Yeah. Sure, no. Now, is is this one of the videos? Because it seemed like every video of theirs like ends up them playing in some studio and then, 
you know, one person of every demographic of age. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Totally. Grandma and kids and all yeah. different kinds of people are all there singing along. Yep, having a great time with the supposedly four members of. I, I think you're right. I think I mean head over heels definitely ends that way. Shout definitely ends and that shout way. ends that way. Yeah, and we'll have to look at it. Come on. Well, I looked it up. Everybody once through the world doesn't have the generic crowd sing along at the end, but they are still recording most of their band performance in that generic video studio, which I think might be the same set that they've recorded. They're big. Everybody can be in our band sing along thing at the end. As for the rest, sowing the seeds of love was done obviously in front of a green screen because they've got all this hippie art in the background. So let's look at the old ones. There's change. All right. They don't, they don't do that gang sing, but it's only the two guys, and it ends in a freeze of Kurt's lips, which is weird. Mad World is Kurt basically locked in a house with lots of windows. Pale Shelter is very cinematic with lots of paper planes. Women in Chains is black and white, and you see a drummer, but I don't think it's Manny, and their keyboardist Ian isn't there either, even though he was involved with recording that record. So there you go. If, if Tears for Fears wants to go back to the success that they had before, they're really going to have to find that studio and all those people to sing along the end of the song. It's clearly the secret of Tears for Fears' success. Carry on. It's a cool video for everybody who wants to rule the world. It's cool. There's like a glider. Yeah. And a cool British car. Yes, it's a very cool car. There's like oil rigs. And they're throwing, they're throwing paper airplanes. Throwing paper airplanes, yeah. yep. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, it's like Cold War art. Is kind of, it was like, yeah, yeah, so yeah, which wasn't going to be the original title. No, everybody wants to go to war, yeah, very fitting for these days. Yep, I think when they were in the studio and they they kept like recording the song over and over again, and all of a sudden it's sort of like morphed into Rule the World, which yes. is like hands down hundreds of miles better. On lyrically. Absolutely. So, yeah. Did you ever watch the movie Real Genius? No. With Val Kilmer? It's Wait. fantastic. At the okay. end, there's a laser that shoots down into a house that hits a big tinfoil ball of popcorn. And the laser makes all the popcorn pop. And it fills up the entire house. And then it like comes out the windows and like busts open the front door. Yeah, it's really cool. I never saw but that. To the song, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. Oh. Yeah. Okay. It's a really good 80s movie. Yeah. Yeah. Laszlo. I... Laszlo is in it. Who's Laszlo? Laszlo is played by a guy named John Grease, who is <laughs> Uncle Rico in Napoleon Dynamite. No way. Yeah. Wow. It's great. All right. So, yeah. I'm going to, I want to check that, that one again. I, I assume that every single actor that was in Napoleon Dynamite. Never was any in anything before or after Napoleon. I, I, I think they totally blew their budget on John Grease. <laughs> yeah, two hundred and seventy-eight dollars, and they're like, "Ah, oh, that's pretty much it." But yeah, that's your day rate. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so those guys are uh, they're they're on tour for seemingly forever. Yeah, and apparently in their band they play the same set every single night, and they're all kind of sick of music. They they never wanted a tour. That's true. At all. They really just want to be in the studio. Like that and that's where they 
that's where they shine. I mean, they're really solid recording. Un- undeniably. Yeah. Yeah. So. But a good thing happened while they were t- on tour. They ran into uh, this lady named Olita Adams. She was uh, in a Kansas City bar playing the piano. And they loved her so much. They said, hey, would you consider singing on our next record? And she said yes. And so she is the female singer in Woman in Chains. Ah. The first track, the opening track yeah. off of uh, the next record. What is the next record called? Is it Sowing the Seeds uh, of Love? I is think that it the is Sowing the, the Seeds of Love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so they finish their tour, and they're like, all right, we got to start recording. And they go into the studio, and they take forever yeah. to record the next record. They never succumb to the pressure of, like, the industry. Like, no, they will they, take their time. They will take their time. Yeah. And, you know, they should. Sure. You know, those things have to be crafted. Like, their songs are tight, and they're rich, mm-hmm. and there's a lot going on. Yes. And Orland, is his name Orland? Roland? Roland. <laughs> Roland won't let anything past his eyesight if he doesn't think that it is polished to perfection. Yeah. Which can be a problem. Right. I mean, it, and it, but it shows. I mean, and even, like, seeing interviews with him, it's like, there's just a calculation behind Everything he says, his delivery. Yes. It's precise, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Deliberate. He's a he's a wittier guy than I thought he would yeah. be. Uh we've been watching a lot of interviews with those guys, and they're pretty funny guys. You wouldn't think. Yeah. But and I have a hard time with it because sometimes they're I can see them they're trying to be funny, but they're also so serious at the same time that I yes. kind of miss it, you know. It's like yeah. oh, I didn't yeah. I mean, you know, they go to play a show and they're playing the serious music and, you know, Roland's singing opera music before. I mean, it, <laughs> you wouldn't peg them as being funny guys. But what do you know? Yeah. It also ends up uh, being the last record that uh, Ian Curtis plays on. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the keyboard player. <laughs> Ian Stanley. From Joy Division. <laughs> <laughs> Ian Stanley. That that's his farewell. But not just Ian Stanley, also ends up being Kurt Smith's last hurrah. Yeah. For the time being. But just for a second, yep. when Sowing the Seeds of Love came out, what was your take on it? I um I, that song, Sowing the Seeds of Love, is big. It's you, really big. Yeah. A and l- so different. It's so different from anything I was used to mm-hmm. as like a fan. But the more I listen to it over the years, the more I like it and I appreciate it. I listen to different aspects. Like that, the the drum intro, I think, is really cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's really cool. It's very cool. And then the, the, the changes are so drastic yeah. and jarring. It's like a couple songs in one. Yeah. Two, and three it, songs it in one. It wouldn't work for anybody else. Yeah. But Tears for Fears can make that happen. Like, it works. It's also the only song on the album that is co-written by Kurt Smith. Yeah, I think he was on the way out. I don't, I don't. He might not have lasted the whole time. Well, he actually only co-wrote a song on the previous record. Oh yeah, you know which one? Everyone's for the world. No, shout. No, because that the all, other one. All they say is shout the whole time. The other one. Matt, what? Head over heels. Head over heels. Okay, he co-wrote that one. He co-wrote that one. Did he like so? I'm, I was trying to figure out like what what Kurt Smith's role in the whole thing is. That's what I'm saying. You Why, know? Like when they're showing the pictures of the band, they show those two guys. Yeah, never looking at each other. 
Yes. <laughs> They're always, always looking different directions. Always acting like one of them just farted. <laughs> right. and, and the other one, the other one knows that the other one did. Yeah. And he doesn't want to say anything. Right, totally. <laughs> <laughs> but I but I didn't realize, you know, it's like all of a sudden Roland goes and does another Tears for Fears album without Kurt Smith. Two of them. Two of them. Yeah. But it's like, oh, I kind of miss Kurt Smith. Like, yeah. Roland on his own. It doesn't feel. Just gets a little lost in his own thing. Like, there's definitely a void. Yeah. And like, Roland just being able to do what he does without somebody saying, uh, that's, that's kind of cheesy. Yeah. Or, you know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe tone that one Reel down it back. Bit. Yeah. 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 So I, now, now it's like, okay, now I see what, you know, he was both the bass player and the, the, yeah. uh, the quality control driver. Yeah. Quality yeah. control. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You kind of need him, I guess. Yeah. So, and it makes sense. And he, uh, as we said, he looks good. He looks good. Man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he also looks really good next to Roland Horzabal, who is not so good. Not the good. hottest. Yeah. yeah. But amazing hair. Yeah. Oh my God. And, and to this day. Yeah. Like it just got, it's still beautiful and gray. Yeah. 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 And so that, um, Brings us to another topic of, of of Roland's life. He lost a wife in 2017. Yeah. They were married for a long time. I mean, she's were. in the Head Over Heels video. Right. She's the librarian, she's the librarian. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they were together for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And in an interview, he brought up the fact that uh, she died due to alcoholism, mm-hmm. which is a pretty vague way to, to say it. Usually it's something else. So we did, we did, we did some looking. Yeah. What was going on? It's uh, it sounds really tragic. It sounded and it sounded really just rough on that. I mean, of course, alcoholism is really tough to deal with as a couple, and for sure, um, she had alcohol alcoholism related dementia, which yeah. uh, that seems really extreme, you know. Yeah. So, and he, I, I think that they had they they kind of got back together and they they did a tour in like 2016, 2017. And they were starting to write a new album. Yeah, as, as early as 2014, they were back together working on another record. Yeah, which was the follow up to "Everybody Loves a Happy Ending." Yep. Which I finally got around to listening to the other day. It's quite good. Yeah. It's upbeat. It's like upbeat Tears for Fears, which, frankly, that's my kind of Tears for Fears. You like the happy ones? I like the happy yeah. tunes. Yeah. But I mean, all that time he's going through this really awful home life and. Yeah, you kind of like he, he was like the only caretaker, I guess. Yeah, like he was the, the only caretaker. caretaker. I mean, I think I think they were also getting somebody else in, but he was like for five years just, yeah, you know, yeah. there all the time. I mean, and then she passed away in 2017. Yeah, so so, but he has since remarried. He's since remarried, yeah. and that album finally has come out. Yes, and I think that is this new one that was just released on Friday mm-hmm. called Tipping Point. Tipping Point. Yes, yep. and. The tipping point that is out, this is not like the first time that they've tried to make this record. They started working on this record, as I said, 2014. Yeah. And it is sort of based off of his wife and what she was going through. So this is sort of the the engine and the emotional center about what is going on with this record. So there's songs about like ghosts. Yeah. That's a common theme. Uh, but before they did that, they were having trouble initially writing the songs, and they had gone so far as to do that the classic 
hire a bunch of songwriters to come in and co-write with you. So they kind of made it sound like every song had like a different co-writer. And when they got done, apparently they'd already made, they made a whole record. And when they got done, every song just kind of sounded like it was missing the mark. There was no coalescence. There was no... Yes. Because they were actually going into it saying, let's just make an album of hits. Yeah. Just a bunch of singles. We'll just do that. And then they got done and they're like, this isn't really what we're about. No, they, because they can craft an album so well. They but can. But I, I can see that desire. Because... Mm-hmm. They're, they also love the recording process that it's like, well, let's do this. And it's yeah. like, let's not confine ourselves to what the album should be mm-hmm. and have it all kind of fit. Yeah. But then at the end, you're like, yeah, this is just a, just a grab bag of songs and sounds. And- sure. And obviously, if they're going to do something new, they got to go big because they already made the record. Everyone loves a happy ending, yeah. which everybody just kind of assumed. All right. Well, that's the end of that. That was it. Yeah, Tears for Fears yep. chapter, which would have been fine. It would have been a, a great bookend. Yeah. But now they've come back with another record, which is pretty darn good. It's pretty good. Yeah. We've yeah. listened to it a few times. Yeah, I like it. It starts out with sort of like an acoustic song, which is very different than any Tears for Fears we've heard before. It's got like an Americana sound, that yeah. first track. Mm-hmm. But solid. The lyrics are really solid, yep. well-crafted. It's, it's on par with everything that they put out. They're not putting out garbage. Minus maybe the Roland Orswald solo records. (laughs) But you know... Old Roland wears them all. (laughs) I don't know. These are your guys. They're not my guys. (laughs) I do my best here. I mean, if only... If only Michael Stipe were here to, to correct me. Right, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how he came in. I mean, he's done nowhere near Tears for Fears. Like, I don't even think they crossed paths ever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, didn't they like Tears? <laughs> didn't they like R.E.M.? <laughs> yeah, who knows? Maybe. <laughs> well, I mean, something. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Man, I, I don't care. Tears for Fears came. I was growing up in Connecticut, and they came. To play at the Hartford Civic Center, and I wanted to go so badly. Yeah. And Mom Britton wouldn't let me because it was like a school night. What? How old I were know. you? I was probably ten or eleven. Oh. You know. Well, I was a kid. Good on your mom, honey. But you know, yeah. I mean, she was she was being a parent. She was. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Well, how many bands were you seeing by age ten? Uh, the only one I had seen at that point was Lionel Richie. That was my first concert. Yeah. Was it the Dancing on the Ceiling it tour? Was. <laughs> It was the dancing on the scene. It was so cool. Like Did the first song, he his piano just kind of <laughs> <laughs> on the floor. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Good. <laughs> no, this this piano just kind of like wheeled itself out onto the stage. Like nobody was doing anything, and then it just started playing itself. And then and then everybody came out. Yeah. But wow. it was like wow. Yeah. <laughs> it was a show. I was a kid. You it's know? 1983, like, right? Yeah. <laughs> I was I was nine years old. Oh, so that means this was like the songs in the big chair era when they came to town. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I remember my friend Jonathan Carl got to go see this show, and I was like, "Oh, what color guitar did Roland Orsball use?" Because you don't know what and other he was questions like, is the red one, and I was like, "Oh, wanted to use the black one." Was he used a black guitar in like one of the videos? And I was like, he doesn't seem like a red guitar kind of guy. Like, no just, way. Yeah. 
oh, well, gosh, I guess I'm okay that I missed that show, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's cool. But I am excited because I'm going to go see him this summer. Yeah? Yeah. You have tickets? tickets. Yep. Dang. Coming down to Charlotte. It's just them, right? Charlotte? It's just them. Not Um, not with the Hall and Oates this time? (laughs) I would have. I'm so bummed I missed that one. I should have just gotten the car and driven. I'm right there with you. Those two bands, like, they just. They've got their own little like places in my heart that like Yeah, they both I love it. They both created a pocket of the eighties. Like the eighties would have not been the same without those two bands. Right. You know, like I completely agree. Yeah. And uh, you know, they kind of both started out sounding different and then just finding their, you know, for them the big chair, for the other ones, you know, your kisses on my list. Yeah. And, Man. Maneater and all that stuff, like that, all that 80s stuff. Like, they were right there. Yeah, but the thing that I love is that I, I, I know that they're both 80s bands, but they still hold up today. For sure. Like, it, you know, yeah, there's the synth pop, but it wasn't so overdone. It wasn't so 80s defined, you know? It's like, it still works for me. Totally. So. Yeah. You know, they were mentioning that, uh, that song Mad World. Yep. So here's some random facts. They were worried that it sounded too much like a Cat Stevens song. Whoa. There's a Cat Stevens song called Mathmir. <laughs> Mathmir, I don't know why I wrote that down. The actual song that Tears for Fears was worried that they were stealing from was called Matthew and Son. It goes like this. This is just that part. He's got people who've been working 50 years. No one asks for more money because nobody dares. Even though they're pretty low, the rent's in arrears. So, yeah, it's, I hear it, but, you know, Cat Stevens seems to get ripped off a lot. Ask the Flaming Lips. Their song Fight Test sounds so much like the song Father and Son that Cat Stevens ended up getting writing credit for it. Is it a coincidence that two Cat Stevens songs that have been lifted both are songs with two subjects divided by the word and? Father and Son, Matthew and Son? Hmm. Hey, you know the song Shout? Yep. Do you know how they came up with Shout? Uh, nope. He, apparently, Roland, was uh, just kind of like playing some Talking head songs. He was like trying to learn a Talking head song, and while he was doing it, all of a sudden it transformed into Shout. Oh, yeah. So is this the track that he played for Ian Stanley? And Ian Stanley was like... Who? Ian Stanley. Oh. The keyboardist. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) That's his name? Yeah. yeah. I've been messing it up this whole time. I've been correcting you the whole time. Um, yeah, and so Ian's like he played it for Ian Stanley and was like, Ian was kind of blown away. Like, you don't know how good this song is. This hit is a worldwide hit. Huh. You need to keep at it. And you know what? He was right. Yeah. That thing was everywhere. Yeah. It was like on all the charts globally. Summer of 83, I think it was. For sure. I mean, I remember I was listening to it, you know. I remember was, my little brother singing it. I think yeah. it was four. Uh, my little sister yeah. would sing it too. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he'd sing it wrong. It was cute. Oh, yeah. It was cute. Ready to go. Deed on, deed on, cue it out. Go on. I'm talking to you. Go on. I'm talking to you. It's so cute. Yeah. But they're just, I mean, it was one of those songs that any small kid could sing along to because mm-hmm. it's 
repetitive. Repetitive. <laughs> just keep. They just. Going. Can you imagine being in Tears for Fears and having to perform that song like oh every night? Yeah. Like just haunting in your sleep. <laughs> cha, cha, da, 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 da. My boy loves that song. Yeah. I have made a couple of videos of him miming <laughs> or just singing it straight up. Yeah. Yeah. Loves that too. Yeah, but we have the talking heads to think for that. That's so cool. So yeah. Yeah, Tears for Fears, they you know, they've got uh good roots. Yeah. So okay, so if Tears for Fears and Spandau Ballet were to fight, who do you think would win? Well, I'm gonna say Spando Ballet because there's more numbers. Yes, yeah, it's just a numbers game at that point. You got yeah. two guys. Yeah. Though I mean, because you you can take out Kurt Smith pretty well, but I bet <laughs> I bet Roland. You'd want to sit down and talk about it. I bet you Roland yeah. could take out like three dudes. Probably. Yeah. yeah. But if there's five Spando Ballets, then you're done. <laughs> to to one tears. To one tears. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Maybe Kurt's scrappy. He could be scrappy. He's too pretty to be scrappy. Yeah. He's never had it to. He all he has to do is just bat those baby blue mm. eyes. Are they blue? No idea. I think no, they can't be blue They're because <laughs> because when when Roland first saw him at the I think what oh, right. was it vegetarian discotheque or something? Yeah. No, that's where they met. That's where, that's where, where they met Ian Stanley. Stanley. Yeah. Um, but he said the first time that he saw him, he thought that he looked Indian. Yep. It was like he had, he just got to school and he had like been in the sun all summer. Yeah, which is weird. Yeah. But do you know who is from? India? No. Manny, the drummer. Oh, okay. He's from India. It, and I think there's a story with him, too. Did he go on to play with Culture Club? No. no. That's a different guy. Okay. That guy was actually a, an early member of the Nips, Shane McGowan's uh, band yeah, before yeah, yeah. the Pogues. But, I mean, he did go on to do a lot of, a lot of things. A lot of, like, live show stuff. Like, I think he, he was the drummer for Peter Gabriel for a while, as was Ian, Ian Stanley. Both of them, and I don't think that they did it together, but Ian Stanley was playing in Peter Gabriel's live band for a little bit. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah. Ian Stanley did a lot of stuff. He I produced just, a ton of stuff. Yep. Did you know that he had a hand in producing Tori Amos's first album? No. Yeah. Well, like the one where she's being not trying to be a rock chick. He's yeah. trying, she's trying to be herself. Yeah. He he was like one of the first people on board with that. Oh, so, that's so cool. You shouldn't have to. Do we have any Tori Amos fans in the house? I was a huge fan back in the day. Yeah, when Little Earthquakes came out, she also released a bunch of like CD maxi singles. And all of them seemed to have versions of classic rock songs like Angie from The Rolling Stones. There was a Zeppelin song. If the sun refused to shine. And even Smells Like Teen Spirit. Which was weird, because that had just come out as well. And Ian Stanley apparently was the producer of all of those B-sides. He didn't do the whole Little Earthquakes record, but he was right there. Carry on. And he he kind of, like, did all of the larger production songs on that record, like Crucify, you know, where there's, like, yeah. drums and stuff. He's the one that made those larger tunes. Can we talk about the Tears for Fears drum sound? Sure. Because I think it is amazing. It is amazing. And it's like... Uh, do you know who it's largely influenced by? Def Leppard. Phil Collins. No. Yes! Def He's Leppard the... does the drum. The... They're but really... they came out like what eight, the after Tears for Fears. That's fair. That's yeah. fair. All right, let's leave Def Leppard out of this. But it's Phil Collins that sort of came up with that big drum sound. 
It's I'm a really serious. cool sound. I'm serious. There, there was an there was an accidental thing that had happened when they were recording. I can feel it coming in the air tonight. Okay, because that's where that sort of that drum sound first happened. He would sort of had a microphone on that was that he didn't mean to have on, and it was super compressed, and also gated. He he invented like the gated, which means that the sound just stops. Yeah. So it's but it's but it's also delay. It's like gated delay. So it's like delay when you hear a sound it goes like it 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 has like sort of a not an echo like a repeated thing but just um, a cascade that goes away like that. So when you put a gate, it puts a stop. So it goes. Gotcha. So that's what happened. Okay. So they accidentally came up with that drum sound, and then that was ended up being the drum sound of the eighties. It was cool. It was very cool. And and. They still like Tears of Fear still uses it on this new album in yes, 2022. They do. You know, it's like yeah. Well, they cool. do. They do like a reverse delay thing where the the, the sound comes in before the actual hit yeah. that you know. Yeah. So, and that's like that. They're they're running the the drum track backwards or something like they, correct. Yeah. Yeah. They run it backwards so, and then put it on, but it's cool. Yeah. It is cool. Yeah. 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 That's good stuff. Sound. Yeah. Yeah. They they love being in the studio and they make great sound and stuff. Do you think they like to cook? Do you think they like to cook? Yeah. I would assume that Roland, after mentioning that him and his wife would drink three bottles of wine a night. <laughs> Could you imagine the drinking three? Is, the first half bottle is while you're cooking. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. And, you know, and you enjoy it, and then it's like, well, let's have another glass. Yeah. Let's have another glass. It's dinner time. They drink too much wine. Yeah. I'm really shocked. Yeah. I, I was, too. That's, uh, yeah. That's yeah. sad. It's just really sad. It so. is really sad. Uh, I don't think that they sure. Why wouldn't they cook? Yeah, that I saw an interview inside of Christmas. <laughs> I saw an interview <laughs> also inside of Christmas <laughs> apartment, probably house. I bet he owned it, and it was a very nice looking kitchen. I bet he, I bet he cooks up a storm in that little guy. Yeah, but did they ever make beef Wellington? I don't know. Maybe for the holidays. Maybe for the holidays. Maybe for Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> Christmas. Spe- <laughs> Speaking of Christmas, did you know that they were sort of indirectly involved in the Do They Know It's Christmas song? Really? Yes. I was always surprised they weren't on it at all. They were not on it. But they used a slowed down sample from the song The Hurting as the introduction of do they know it's Christmas? No kidding. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So oh there you go. Oh my gosh, that's really cool. Do you know who plays drums on Do They Know It's Christmas? It's not Phil Collins. Phil Collins. Because no! <laughs> he's he also plays drums on the American version, right? That wasn't the, who, what American um, version. The We Are, we the, are world? the World. I don't think no. I don't think he has anything to do with it. Is that him? No. Okay. Hmm. No, no, that's a that's an American affair. I know, but Phil Collins. There's, Con- a, there's no like, Brits on that. Yeah, I don't know. It's USA for Africa, <laughs> and Phil Collins. And Phil Collins yeah. <laughs> featuring Phil Collins. <laughs> oh boy! All right, mm-hmm. so let's let's uh, yeah. let's segue here into the Beef Wellington. Yeah. Now. Uh, I'm as excited I said, about this thing. As I said, I had no idea what a beef wellington is. Yeah. I didn't really either. Yeah. I just knew it was a dish. And you never had it before? I'd never had it before. No, me either. Um, and it 
the thing I love about it is it sounds fancy. It does sound fancy. And and it is it, it's fancy. Yeah. It, I don't think it looks fancy. No. Uh we're trying to figure out where Wellington comes from. Yeah. Some some people seem to suggest that it was a uh when a the welly, welly boots. Welly boots. Yeah. Which for those of you who don't know what welly boots are, those are called rain boots. Here yeah, in we America. call them rain boots. Yeah, but they're over there they call them wellies. Yeah. Get your wellies. Get you put your wellies on. Don't get your, your... Kurt. Kurt, where are your wellies? <laughs> they're right over here, Roland. <laughs> yeah. Don't so be so dramatic about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah I do. do. <laughs> Tears of fears. <laughs> <laughs> With the okay. like, anyways, <laughs> I don't want to be a part of your tears and fears anymore. Yeah. Fine, take your wellies and get yeah. out of here. <laughs> I'm going to eat this thing on my own. <laughs> this whole beef wellington all by myself. Yeah. <laughs> of course you can, yeah. Bolin. <laughs> so, yeah, so I guess it's supposed to look like a welly boot. Yeah. But I... That, I don't know. That metaphor, I'm lost on that. I don't I don't get that. And then they've also said that uh, it might be coming from the Duke of, of Ellington. Like, maybe perhaps Wellington, it was yeah. in, Oh, Duke invented. of Ellington. Ah. Duke of Ellington. No. Duke. Did you say, you said Duke of Ellington? No, I didn't. I said Duke of Wellington. Fine. <laughs> Check the tape. <laughs> coming from the Duke of, of Ellington. Like... <laughs> feel like Kurt Smith. I'm leaving. I'm leaving this duo. God. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. So Duke yeah. of Wellington. So maybe. But it's 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 vague. They can't seem yeah. to figure out where it's from. Yeah. Uh and so as as we said, we had a lot of prep work to do yesterday. Which I thought was the coolest thing. And that's I, that's what I love about cooking some recipes. The ones that really take time and planning mm-hmm. and you know, you gotta do something a day ahead of time. Yeah. Cause you know, it's not so much of a marinade, but it needs time to just I'm sit. not sure. Settle? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what it's doing. Yeah. But it's like there's salt. Let's tell you what we did with yeah, this yeah. thing. Okay. So first, first you get a, a center cut piece of beef tenderloin. It's like long, but you only want it to be a foot, 12 inches long. So you got to like fold it in on itself and then tie it together. So it's about, you know, the size of a welly, let's say. <laughs> Or a rain boot. It's about, the, it's about like a size of a rain boot. More of a rain boot. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, you, you wrap that sucker up in uh, twine. Mm-hmm. Twine that you can cook. But just twine? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I said it that way. That's a, that's a, good, that's a way to say it. Yeah. <laughs> How do you say it? I usually don't. <laughs> String. I mean, you, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Us Americans. Yeah. Simplifying everything. Nothing fancy. Uh, but before we did that, we had a, a pan that we had to saute some pancetta, which is unsmoked bacon, for those of you. So you could use bacon if you wanted to, probably. Yeah. I bet that'd be delicious. Dice but, it up nice. Yeah. But the pancetta, fine. It's already diced. Mm-hmm. Psh, throw that in. After that, it's starting to get going about uh, six to six to eight minutes. Then we put in one finely diced shallot, as well as 14 ounces of mushrooms of your choice yeah and we did a big mix of mushrooms now the mistake that i made yep. yep is you you want to finely dice those mushrooms i didn't realize that so i just yeah. kind of started putting mushrooms in you just dumped the whole thing in and then you read the instructions yep and then told me that right. corrected me so this, this is this is parallel cooking this is what happens mistakes true. are made it's yeah. okay but that's why it's best to have two people right you know just like tears for fears exactly it's best with two people yeah 
Yeah. You did not make Elemental. No. <laughs> I was there Absolutely to stop not. that. It yeah. was almost, yeah. yeah. Was we like, were almost going to have a big yeah. slice of Elemental. <laughs> yeah. and that Which was is a great album. It's great. It's just, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Anyways. So, uh, yeah. And you cook your mushrooms down like uh, about 20 minutes, 20, 23 minutes, because you want to get a nice, good flavor. Yeah. It was a long time. It, we did it for a nice long time. Yeah. yeah. And then at the very end, when you're almost about done, I threw in two cloves of minced garlic as well as about two tablespoons of fresh thyme, yeah. which came from your garden. And that smelled so good. It really like did. As soon as that yeah. hit, it when was it, like, oh, this is going to be something. Yeah, yeah. After that, we put about two tablespoons of dry sherry in there. Mm-hmm. And that was sort of the last kibosh. Got it all wet, took it out to start drying it down. Wiped off the pan, and then we had to sear the meat. So we put a little bit more olive oil in there and then just rotated the sides of the beef tenderloin, until everything had a nice sear. Get a hot pan and you go about a minute and a half, two minutes, and then go to the next spot. And then we picked it up and did both sides, so we had the sear. And then we took that out and we made this beautiful quilt (laughs) of yam and ham. Yeah. Yaman. Jamon. Yes. Yeah. Spanish ham. It was really good. I was eating it while I was like quilting. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Meat quilting. Totally. And then meanwhile, after you get that, you pour in your now cooled down pieces of pancetta and mushroom and, and shallot, pour that on top of it, and then cover your meat with Dijon mustard, about two tablespoons of Dijon mustard, and you get it all over there so that's nice and like sticky. And then we rolled it up. We put out a, a bunch of pieces of saran wrap underneath your Spanish ham, put on all the rest of the ingredients, and then just kind of rolled it up nice and tight. Mm-hmm. And that we stuffed into the refrigerator, which we should take out. Yes. Yeah. So that's where we're at, folks. There's more steps. This is a long process. Yeah. But consider this like side one. (laughs) Now (laughs) let's flip the tape and see (laughs) what treasures lie on side two. I'll give you a hint. It's Head Over Heels. Featuring what's the other song? Broken? Um... It's like Tears for Fears. It's broken. Yeah, yeah. It's broken. Yeah. Tears for Fears is broken. Yeah. Let's get cooking. Awesome. Whoa. Da 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 da. Wait a minute. Are we recording? Okay, do it again. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Look this at this thing. Good. Oh my gosh. Holy smokes. Okay, so we have beef Wellington. I uh I, I sent a picture of this to my friend Nate, and he said, Is it Elvis Costello? He doesn't know. Beef Wellington. Elvis, Elvis Costello. Elvis Costello. <laughs> Elvis Costello is Irish, dude. Silly goose. <laughs> Gosh. So, okay. So then we took our beef, our our prosciutto-wrapped beef Wellington. Well, it was at the point, at that point, just a, a, a beef tenderloin wrapped in mushrooms and prosciutto. So we took it out of the refrigerator for about two hours. And then we laid down some puff pastry. And everything that we said said, make sure you have enough puff pastry. 
and we were like, we got enough puff got pastry. Plenty. You know what? We almost didn't have enough puff pastry, and that would have been tragic. Mm-hmm. So thank goodness that we were able to squeeze enough room and make enough triangles to get this thing to turn into a big giant egg roll. It looks like a big giant egg roll, really. <laughs> exactly what it looks like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we threw that sucker in the oven for... Uh, 45 minutes. It was like 45 45 minutes. minutes. That's how long this one took. The recipe that we were sort of guided with said three pounds, but we had an almost four pound beef. Tenderloin. Tenderloin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Really, this, you're going to know when it's done when the, when the, when the actual puff pastry looks good. Pretty much once that looks good, then you're, you're in good shape. I think I did it to about 125 degrees. Yeah. And then pulled it out. And then oh. let it rest for 10 minutes. Yes. And then it came up to about 1.30. Okay. Um, oh, it did. Yeah. All, all right. right. We should that took, first we bite. We probably should have took it out a second second earlier than that. Let me get that first bite in there. Okay. And, see that. and there is some red in the middle, like a, a pink hue in the middle, and, and the juices, it just looks so awesome. Yep. Take that bite. Okay, ready? Oh, my God. Is it good? Oh All right, God. I'm going in. Mm. You haven't had a bite yet? Wow. Nate made this sauce out of like a full bottle of wine. To talk talk about the sauce, because that was something to watch you make. Okay, then I made this sauce. And it was um, based off of um, a recipe from Bella Lugosi. <laughs> or em- Emerald, Emerald Lugosi. <laughs> and... <laughs> this is a sauce that I make frequently when I'm doing a lamb roast. Um, it's based off of that, but instead of using chicken bouillon or chicken chicken stock, I used beef stock. This is what we do. We took two shallots, and we sliced them up thin. Now, you can slice them or dice them however you wish. Put those in a hot pan with your beef drippings. Now, in tri- tri- you know, Traditionally, your beef drippings are the extras after you've already cooked your beef. But in this case, we just sort of saved the pieces of fat and sort of cooked them on the spot. And with that, I put in a little bit of olive oil, and then I put in the shallots. I also put in a bunch of rosemary, fresh rosemary, and fresh thyme, as much as you want. But if you need an exact, let's say, let's say two tablespoons worth of each, cook those until the shallots are getting nice and wilted, maybe about 10 minutes. And then I poured in a practically an entire bottle of Spanish wine, red. Roja. Yeah. Is that what it was? Rioja. 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 Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then you cook that sucker down till it's pretty much almost gone, but make sure you don't go too far because otherwise you're going to have something burning. That's no fun. After that, I put in an entire container of beef broth. I used some organic beef broth. And I also, at a certain point, put in two cloves of minced garlic and then also seasoned it with a little bit of salt and a lot of black pepper and just cooked it down. It probably cooked for about an hour and a half. Yeah, it's, it's really good. It's really good. Thank you. Yeah. You know, like the broth, you've got all that flavor, all that salt, all of that. But that reduction, oh, yeah, lovely. Yeah, and the shallots and, and the herbs, like the rosemary. Rosemary with meat is just divine. So, yeah. Mm. And then we paired it up with some Brussels sprouts and some salad, and we're going to town. 
And uh, Tears for Fears, I think, I think would approve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think that they're vegetarians. Do you think they're vegetarians? Well, if they had this, they wouldn't be. No. Mm. Yeah. But the whole, I mean, the whole thing just worked out really, really well. And we actually brought some British people over. Well, actually, a fellow from Wales. <laughs> I, I, again, in this podcast, I've been corrected. <laughs> I thought he was Welsh. He's not. He's British. Oh. English. Uh-huh. But he grew up in Wales. Okay. And I'm like, what's the difference? Potato, potato. You know? Yeah, tomato, tomato. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Beef Wellington, Beef Wellington. <laughs> so, we were trying to understand... Did we talk about this? We were trying to understand where Beef Wellington came from. We touched upon it earlier, but now with the with an actual Brit, Brit, well, a little clear, yeah, debatable, right? Um, yeah, they had sort of said that the Duke of Wellington was known to wear wellies, and this is where the term wellies came from. Yeah, these rain boots were worn by him, and so therefore it all ties together. And the vision that I have is this fancy king walking out in the rain <laughs> wearing rubber boots. That's and right. everybody was like, wow, what is look this? at that rich man go. <laughs> <laughs> now they're everywhere. He can do whatever <laughs> yeah. he wants. He can walk in the rain. Yeah. Look at him. Mm. I, this is this is really good. This is much better than I I didn't even know what to expect. Yeah, but this is quite something, and now I I get how this differs from just meat. Yeah, wrapped in bread. Yeah, no, this isn't just meat wrapped. This is yep. a production. It, yeah, there is a lot of time and thought and effort that goes into this, and there's there's ways you can mess this up. You know, if the puff pastry gets soggy, yep, nobody likes that. But if you do it right, you follow. The directions you follow your heart. Yeah, and I'm I'm getting a little like I I I feel like the the jamon like just disintegrated. Yeah, like, it, yeah, it kind it's of kind became... of just melted into everything. Yeah. And the Dijon is there. Yeah, but it's not like not over, It's a very subtle thing. It is all these yeah all these little pieces. But I mean, it, when we were putting it together, it's just like oh, we're putting this delicious thing inside of this delicious thing. Yeah. Where are you gonna go wrong? Puff pastry. Yeah, I could just eat puff pastry on its own. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and then you sop it up with puff pastry, puff pastry and yeah, Spanish ham and, and and beef and and lots of red wine and beef broth and yeah, I I I would do this again. Mm-hmm. This is a Christmas dinner, I think. It's Christmas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And then like just a Tuesday in June. <laughs> <laughs> Because you miss time. it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, ah, oh, I wish it was Christmas. Well. I don't know what else there is to say. Yeah, I don't Except I'm hungry. Yeah, I All am right. too. And this microphone's in my way. Okay, get this microphone right. in my way. Let's Ciao, everybody. Thanks for having me over and, let me, and helping me make the beef, beef Wellington as well. I had so much fun. <laughs> this was fantastic. We did it as a duo. I know. I, how else are we going to do it? That's the way Tears Your Fears would do it. Totally. Yeah. Bon appetito, everybody. There you go, folks. Everything you need to know about Tears for Fears, plus some tips on making a Beef Wellington. Next holiday, when you got a lot of people coming around, impress them with that Beef Wellington. It's a crowd pleaser. 
Obviously, you could tell Russ and I were having ourselves a mighty fine time. Thanks for keeping in there with us. There's a lot of laughing. Don't forget to check out the website, www.thisbandcouldbeyourfood. Follow us on Instagram, TBCBYF. Check us out on Facebook. Become fans. Follow us. You'll have direct connections for every time we drop an episode, every time we drop a new recipe. Eventually, I'll have a whole recipe book, I promise. Maybe even a restaurant. Wouldn't that be cool? All right, I'm preparing for the next couple of episodes. Town the Scope, I'm planning on chatting with Rob Laxo. He is one of the members of Kurt Vile and the Violators. So he asked if I wouldn't mind talking about Aerosmith. I said, sure, let's talk about Aerosmith. So we got that coming up. I'll be doing an episode with Leo Sidrin soon. We're going to be talking about Huey Lewis and the news. So that's what's on the menu coming up. Make sure to rate the show. Thanks again for listening. I am your host, Nathan Palin. Cook on and rock out. Ciao, ciao. Ciao.